I want to explore weird things that you can do that will really make you stand out. I want to focus more on standing out on Twitter than just here's how to hack your way to growth because I don't really believe in hacks that much because even if they do work sometimes, I don't think they work long term. You could hack your way to 5,000 followers, but you probably won't have great followers. Welcome to another episode of High Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Blake Amel. Blake has been rocking the Twitter boat for the past few months. He's seen amazing growth on his account. From just one tweet, he got over 7,000 DMs. In this episode, you'll learn how to attract a massive following by doing pretty simple things. No hacks, no lame tactics, simple things anyone can do while building your credibility. My name is Yannick, co-founder of Hypefury, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey Blake, tell us a little bit about yeah your journey towards like the digital world. I, uh, we just spoke a little bit about you know your past. You told me you were in France and uh, all over the place. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess my story really starts after high school. I was a volunteer missionary in France for two years, and I I lived in four different cities for six months each, and then I came back home, decided I was going to start college, but I didn't really have any way of paying for college. So I needed to figure some stuff out, how I was going to survive on my own and, and all that good stuff, and quickly became apparent, I have no life skills whatsoever. I have no talents. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So thankfully, I spoke French, and that was kind of my way into a company. Uh, so I, I started doing SEO for a company with French-Canadian clients. And so for the first year and a half of my career, I was doing SEO in French, and I didn't know how to do anything in English for my marketing. That's really how I got my start. And from there, I moved on and, and worked at some agencies and accelerated my growth there. I learned a ton for anybody that has worked in an agency. It is really stressful. It's really hard, but you grow faster there than just about anywhere because so much is expected at such a rapid pace all the time. So I, I really rounded out my skill set with paid advertising and taught myself user experience, design, and conversion optimization, all that good stuff. I tried to round myself out during that time period. Now I'm working at a company called TalkDesk and I've got some exciting new things coming coming my way pretty soon here that I won't get into right here on this podcast, but soon. It's been a good journey so far, but it's been rapid. Every single time that I'm in a new opportunity, I know it's it's going to be fast paced and that's what I like. So that hopefully that gives you a little idea. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, so I've, I've also been in an agency at the beginning of my career for a couple of years. They, they didn't hire me because of my French. Uh, I know just a tiny bit of French, but yeah, that's cool. But, and so basically your only credential was you spoke French and that's because they hired you. And then you just learned, learned the skills. Tell us a little bit about that process. They asked me in the interview, what do you know about SEO? And I was like, nothing. Blank. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what do you know about marketing. And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and so they, they just really sim simplified. Have you ever logged onto a computer? I'm like, yeah, I've done that. Okay, I can do this. And they're like, you speak French? Yep. Okay, you're hired. So I got hired on. It was like, you know, really bad pay, but it was a very good experience. And I learned very quickly there because it was more of an SEO firm where you have like 80 clients at a time and you do very little for them. So it's, you know, on a, on a regular basis, it's like you can do all kinds of work for all kinds of different clients and never really get to know them. Then I worked at agencies where you had like five clients and you did everything for them. So I've had a lot of experience there. And then now I'm in-house and you, I mean, you know, too, like I'm everywhere 
on Twitter, creating new little products, most of which totally fail. But that's my sweet spot right there. I just I like creating on the side, creating in my job. Even if I'm maybe employed by a company, I try to consider myself the entrepreneur or owner of my role. And that's always the way that I've approached it. Cool. Yeah. So I've also experienced the, the bad pay side of the agency, but you know, that is completely offset by the amount of knowledge you gain, you know, by working there. Yep. I know I had a great boss who taught me a lot of stuff. Yeah. What, what can you, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe even more so in, in the United States, they're all after money, money, money. But what could you say to people who are, you know, focused on that versus focusing on improving your skills? So when I was in college, And working at that SEO firm, like I never thought that I wanted to keep doing that. I just kept telling myself, I'm going to be a founder of a company. I'm going to learn to code. I'm going to be a CEO and I'm going to be a billionaire. And that's what I want to do. And that's where I'll be happiest. And then I did learn to code a little tiny bit, but not very well. never going to be able to be a technical founder myself. I'd have to have a partner. I didn't have any good ideas. And so, yeah, like really became apparent early on that the goal of being a billionaire was not really what I wanted. And over time, the more that I, you know, as I, now I have a family, as I have more and more responsibilities, I just realized I don't care so much about, like, I still want to get paid well, don't get me wrong, but I want to own my time. And the more that I can do things that allow me to free up my own schedule and have it be on my terms, that's what I need to work on. So if it allows me to take more vacations with my family or work on other things that I want to outside of my normal job or whatever it is, I'm going to pursue those things more and more instead of just chasing money. And the funny thing with that is since I've had that mindset shift, I've made more money. And so let's zoom in a little bit about, you know, the fact that you did a lot of SEO work. What kind of projects did you do and, and where did you learn the most? Yeah. So at that first company, it was really just task oriented. There was like a dashboard that would pull up a task and say, build a link for this person. And you would just make a crappy link for them and send it off and like, okay, here's the copy that I would use in the hyperlink. And that's it. So like, that was what that first role was. I learned a ton of... That was back in the directory uh, time yes, period? Yes, it was <laughs> very, very much directory link building. Yeah. So that was probably 2013, 2014 that I was really starting out. And that's what I did at that company a lot. But it did teach me what SEO was at a very base level. I actually moved up into some different positions in that company where I got more into the account management side. And so I saw more client things that weren't just tiny little tasks. I eventually got to strategize content, do a lot of that stuff. But where my SEO knowledge really skyrocketed and basically any other knowledge was in the agency format because I started at an agency after I was with that first SEO firm for about two years. So two years experience, I go into an agency, I'm going to be an SEO specialist. And like two weeks into that agency job, the director of SEO was fired. And there were no other SEO people at the agency. So I was kind of like for a month or so, the de facto SEO director for the, the agency. And I almost had zero experience. So it was quite the undertaking, but I learned so much at that time because I had to expand myself beyond what I knew, beyond what I was comfortable with. And I did a lot of probably bad work in that role, but quickly got good at it. So up front, you know, my content strategy, my outlines, the SEO that I was actually performing for these clients was probably not super great, but I got very quick 
honest feedback every single time. And, you know, within the space of like that, a few weeks, I felt immensely better at SEO. From there, I was able to step back into a normal role there and just keep learning for sure. But that expedited my learning like crazy, just being thrust in a situation where I had to be the guy. Cool. And so for people who are totally blank on SEO, uh, tell us a little bit about how it works, but do it like 2020, 2021 style. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it used to be that you could just like spam the internet and it just like make up links and random stuff and you'd be okay and get tons of traffic. Now you can't really do that. In 2021, SEO is a lot more about talking like a human in a way that a search engine can understand. Whereas 10 years ago, it was just all about talking to Google. You were just speaking Google's language. That's what counted. That's how you could gain the system. You can't really game the system anymore. It, it's just a lot of hard work and helping people out with your content. And that's how I would really think of it. So I, I'd say SEO in 2021 essentially is, yeah, you got to do your keyword research. You've got to do your content research. You've got to look at keyword volumes and trends and set all the technical things up on the back end of your site so that Google can read your website really well. Yeah, you need to make your website fast. All that stuff counts still. But more so, ask yourself the question, is is this content piece helping anybody? Is it answering a specific question that somebody actually has asked before and cares about? And is it written in a way that a human being would talk and write this way, not a robot? Because, you know, you think back to 10 years ago, it was all like, the headlines for your dentist, for example, would be like the best dentist in Ottawa, Canada in 2014. And like that was the headline for the website. Now that doesn't work anymore. You can't just like game the system with keyword stuffing and all that stuff. You've got to talk like a human being. It's actually a lot harder, I think, for SEOs right now to do it well. But that's where the opportunity is because more and more people are not putting in the effort consistently over months and years of time to have strong SEO for their content. So if you do it consistently, you have an upper hand because Google doesn't have fewer searches now than it did back then. It has infinitely more searches now than it did back then. The opportunity is still there. It's just if you're willing to put in the work. Uh, good one. And I think they're a lot more attuned to signals of visitors. You know, if you visit the website and you immediately leave again, they see that, you know, you Google something, you click on the web page, you immediately leave, you know, that's bad signal. So you want to keep people on the page. Yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff. And so going back to the agency stuff, you first worked at an agency where you had a lot of clients, but did uh, just a, a tiny portion. Then you moved to another agency where you had only a couple of big clients. What was the difference in approach and what did you learn versus the, the, the smaller uh, clients? Yeah. So smaller number of clients, but much higher budgets. So the pressure was really on. I would say it's, it's harder to have fewer high quality clients as opposed to a lot of clients that don't have tons of expectations, right? So That was very much in my first job at that SEO firm. It was a lot of bulk work for tons of clients, but it wasn't all that impactful. Not a ton of expectation there. With my other agencies, it's been fewer clients, but higher quality expected. And so I actually worked for two other agencies. So the first one after that first SEO experience that I had was working more with small to mid-sized businesses. And those people are really great and challenging to work with because they, if you think of a small business owner, they own that whole thing. So they, even though they're only paying you like a thousand dollars a month or $2,000 a month, that's everything that they have to give you. Whereas if you're working with 
IBM, 50K a month is nothing. And if you screw it up, yeah, they might get mad at you. They might not. They might not notice because it's 50K. So the small business owners I actually found is harder to work with them just because there's so much expectation, but it was also more rewarding to see results there. In my second agency, it was very much more working with mid to enterprise size businesses. And the pressure was really on there because we didn't have any clients that were necessarily like Apple, but we had very big clients that were paying healthy retainers and they had talented people on their marketing teams too. So they held us really accountable. We held them accountable. It was a lot of work, very fast paced. It's difficult. Like for anybody on listening to this right now that is maybe at the beginning of a career in marketing, I would recommend working for an agency for like a year or so at least, just so you can get your butt kicked and learn a ton of new stuff because you'll learn so much. But I would definitely not recommend career in agency life. It's not sustainable. You'll burn out super quickly. So take that for what it's worth. But that's definitely been my experience. Pays pretty shit. You know, you make long hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what I've experienced, you know, I've been consulting, yeah, I think uh, about eight years in total. And you see, you know, agency side, there's what the knowledge is. If you go client side, you got more like more project management type of people instead of really in-depth, knowledgeable people. And so you also you won't learn from your peers while when I was at the agency, you know, I think in the second week I was already building my own projects and sitting besides my colleagues, checking how they did things and just the learning curve was just huge. Yeah, definitely. Definitely my experience as well. Cool. Okay. So you did the bigger clients, I guess. Did you have the holistic role as in like a 360 thing? Did you do everything on the SEO side or did you just do content or link building? How did it work? For the first agency, I was SEO only for the most part. I helped a little bit on the PPC side, but we would do everything for SEO. In my second agency, I was the strategist for the entire account. And so I was really the manager of the relationship. So it was kind of like project manager plus SEO manager plus PPC manager all wrapped into one and working with specialists that would implement a lot of the work that you strategize as well. So there was a lot that went into that one but definitely holistic for sure. Even got into some conversion rate optimization stuff in that second role. But a lot of what I care about deeply is stuff that I've done on the side too. Like I still care a lot about SEO. PPC is less of a passion for me, I guess you could say. But then all the the UX stuff, the CRO, creator economy stuff, that on the side has been really fun for me. How was it managing people? Because when I was at the agency, I was also like more an account manager type of person, but I did a lot of, you know, digging into the campaigns and stuff like that. And we had quite a few clients and I'm talking about PPC stuff that the campaigns weren't really set up properly. So I would go in and, you know, uh, help, help the guys a little bit. But I also went to the customer and said, hey, I know we can improve your accounts 10x, but it's going to cost you a lot of money, but you'll see a return probably within one to three months. How did you approach that tension between client side and your own, you know, coworkers? Yeah, that was certainly present there. I mean, our specialists were really talented and at the agency that I was at, it was probably a, a bit more of a competitive agency to get into than a lot of different agencies. So the talent was pretty good. I definitely had to be on top of, you know, do the campaigns look like they're set up properly? How's our content? What's our keyword research looking like? There was a lot of technical stuff that I did have to check and double check, but thankfully worked with some really talented specialists that made my job a lot easier. On the client side thing though, it's tough because clients have this crazy expectation for what they think they should be getting, but it's almost never based in reality. 
And when, you know, the account executives are selling the account, they have to try to like really promise stuff. And they're told to avoid doing that, but they do it anyway. And they say, we can get you to X place and Y leads and all this good stuff. And a lot of the time they just don't really know what they're promising. And and then it comes on me and they're like, okay, well, this is what the AE said that we should expect where we can get to in our account. And I'm like, okay, well, we've got like a month ramp up to do a project where we just dissect everything that's currently there. Then we can start working. And most clients are not okay with, you know, ramping up for a month. And so it was super hard to manage that relationship, honestly. But I just found that the more that I could be brutally honest, even if it didn't always make me look great, like I was getting great results, if I could be brutally honest, that usually played out in my favor over time. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still lose clients that expected a million leads and they're only paying you 2K a month. So there's not a ton you can do with stuff like that. You just got to do your best and try to set reasonable expectations. And if those don't really align in your client's mind, there's often nothing that you can do, even if you do great work, do great reporting, all that good stuff. And uh, that can be tough. Hmm. And probably six, seven years ago, you could maybe even sell, you know, that you get top 10 uh, results within a month. But these days, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, you can't do that. It's too unpredictable. And I'm not sure that I would want to because you could probably still game your way up the rankings a little bit nowadays even, but it's never going to stay there. And you'll end up just getting penalized for it and not have a chance down the road. I'd much prefer to have bad traffic, bad traffic, bad traffic, slightly good, okay, good, great. Like over time, just build that out instead of just delivering right off the bat something that's probably spammy, getting them into the top 10 and then they drop out and their site gets banned or whatever. I'm much more a proponent of just slow growth right now because then you'll see that exponential growth sooner than you probably even think if you just stick to it. Let's say you have a social media tool to manage your Twitter. How would you do keyword research for it? <laughs> a social media tool. So we wouldn't be talking about Hype Fury, would we? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> How would I do keyword research to help that tool rank better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's give you some free tips here. First off, I think highly underrated is just Google suggestions, um, the predictive search. So the more that you can look in, go in your search bar, just start typing in kind of relevant things, taking note of all the things that actually show up. That won't tell you anything about volume, won't tell you anything other than this is something that has been searched before and probably a decent amount because it's populating. So that's one. Google Trends is another one. I would look into that, see what's rising, what's falling, what you might be able to jump a wave on. I wouldn't use that, again, as a key indicator. One thing that I really like doing is basing keyword research on forums and communities because it's based a lot more on what people are actually saying as opposed to what Google thinks we're searching for. Google's pretty good at understanding what we're searching for. I'm not saying that they're not, but if you go into Reddit and find the right subreddit, for example, where it's talking specifically about here's why all these social media scheduling tools suck. You can go through and write a list of like all the different things you could create content about. And those are keywords right there. Now you could go back into your keyword research tool, plug them in and see if there are variants that have more traffic. And as long as you can make it sound human, it works. But that's a great jumping point for here's the content that's going to be helpful for my potential customers. And ultimately, you want all of your content to point back to, you know, bringing in customers. So you don't want to just create it because you could rank for things that have really great search volume, but very, very low intent. You could rank for stuff like that. And 
get 100,000 sessions per month from a keyword like that, and it might not bring you a single customer. Or you might write an article that has an estimated volume of 10 searches per month, but like nine of them become customers. Like I've seen crazy stuff like that happen. And I think the way that you can get those longer tail, more specific, high intent keywords is in forums. Go to Indie Hackers, go to Reddit, go to Product Hunt even, and look at like product descriptions of similar products and see how they've written their copy. How could you make content about those topics? That's where I would start personally before even diving into like, because you can go into Hrefs or SEMrush and get this huge web of keywords that you could potentially use. And that's great. But you don't know if anyone actually cares about that stuff. Whereas if you use forums and communities and online comments, people are telling you explicitly that they do care about that. Nice. I like the way how you work around the keyword tools. I like that a lot. And yeah, I, I can definitely say, you know, we have a article that ranks for, you know, how can I get unbanned from Twitter, stuff like that, or how can, how can I get my uh, stuff lifted? We get a lot of search volume on that, but like zero clients. And then we have stuff related to, you know, how can I schedule uh, threads? You know, that does really, really well converting. So that's just, yeah, lower search volume, but a lot more valuable as visitors, yeah. Yep, it's all on the long tail. The longer the keyword, the more likely it is probably on average to convert into business. So, And it's also easier to rank for those because it has less volume, usually less competition. So for anybody that's starting like a blog, product, whatever, you're trying to write content for SEO to get something to rank and get customers, start with longer keywords. Trust me, just don't go after those massive keywords with 100,000 searches per month it's okay to go after something that has 15. Yeah, and definitely as a startup, you know, you'll probably won't even rank for it. And if you can rank for it, it'll probably be shit traffic because, you know, why don't other businesses rank for it already? Yeah, and it might not stay there for long either. Cool. Thank you for the free advice, uh, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll invoice you after. Good, good. Do that, do that. Thank you. And so right now you're more like a general online marketer i'd say you know you have like the traffic part you also talk about the ux part on twitter you also talk about you know how to grow your audience types of tell us a little bit more about where you're currently working and how that aligns or maybe not even aligns with what you're doing on on twitter and where you're going personally where you want to grow your own side side business yeah, yeah so uh, i'm working as a senior manager at talkdesk which is a company in the call center space leading a team there. And I actually just announced my resignation from TalkDesk today. So I am moving on to a new opportunity that I am not, and I'm not announcing it yet. So you're not getting the scoop here. Sorry about that. But I got some exciting things coming my way and I'm very excited to chat about it and, and open up more. But really like my side stuff historically has been very much supplementary and not mixed with my full-time job usually. It's always about marketing and my job, I'm always doing marketing, but that's about all they have in common. I'm usually not working for companies like I haven't worked for a startup yet. I haven't had the chance to really intertwine those. So anything I do on the side, I'm doing it like legitimately on the side uh, after hours, early mornings, doing stuff like that. And, and what I really have narrowed in on is this whole idea of building an audience I don't pretend to have a huge audience at all. I don't. I have a medium-sized audience right now, but I think it's really interesting to get that perspective from somebody that is successfully building an audience currently, but isn't there yet. Because most of the people that will teach you how to build an audience haven't actually done it for five years. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing to learn from somebody in real time the mistakes and successes that they're going through 
when they're kind of at a similar place as you or just like a notch above. So a lot of people that follow me, maybe they have a thousand followers, whereas I have about 7,000 some odd followers. Okay. So they're kind of close to me in terms of follower numbers in the grand scheme of things, but I'm maybe notch above. So instead of just saying like, I'm not Naval, so I don't have a million followers. If you asked him how to grow on Twitter, he'd say, oh, it's really easy. I just tweet something. And just gets, tweet. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's not what works for the layman for sure. So like I can't just tweet and expect that it's going to do great. I have flops all the time. So it's nice to be able to learn alongside somebody. That's really what I'm focusing on right now and building out tons of different content formats around that idea. Yeah, I think uh, around a month ago or a little bit more, you suddenly, you know, you came on my radar and you've been growing a lot since. I know I asked you to just look up a couple of tweets. I know mm. a couple of your tweets, you've grown 400, 300, 200 followers just off one tweet. And yeah, I think our listeners are also very interested in, you know, how did that work? How did you come up with the tweet? And maybe if you can take us through how, you know, it went viral or how you got all the followers off of it. Sure. I want to preface this by saying, and I say this all the time in my tweets and on podcasts and everything, but I think the two things that basically make you grow an audience, especially on Twitter, but basically everywhere. Number one, be interesting. Number two, give stuff away for free. That's what I have been saying for a while now. I think those are really the key components. So with any tweet that does really well for me, pretty much it's just an interesting topic or something relatable. And I'm giving something away for free, whether it's information or an actual product or whatever it is. So an example here, my best performing tweet ever was in January. And it was, who's the one person on Twitter that it would make your whole year if they followed you? So I started that. I was at dinner getting cheesesteaks with my family when I tweeted that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I had like 300 comments almost instantly. And it just went crazy. And the cool thing about that thread, so to dissect why it worked and everything, first off... Something cool happened. Yeah. People could recognize like right off the bat, okay, this is my chance to maybe get somebody really cool to follow me. So why not? So if you can get people asking the question, why not reply to this? You've already kind of won a little bit. So it, it had that element to it. It was really short and simple, very clearly put. I didn't try to fluff it up or anything. I just said like, hey, who do you want to follow you? Who's like your dream follower? Tag them down below. That was it. And I put an example as mine. And the person that I put followed me immediately. And I think retweeted it too. And so then it started really gaining a lot of traction. But the cool thing about that thread and why it kept growing is because I would say like at least a third of the people that put somebody in that list actually got followed by that person. So like, you know, there are people that got followed by Sahil. I got followed by Sahil through that. He unfollowed me since because he does that. He'll like follow one or two people and then unfollow them a day later. But I got followed by him and some other people did as well. And like there were just these big, big, big accounts that were actually getting followed by or that are actually following the smaller accounts in this. And so that's why it worked because... I was giving something away for free. I was giving people the chance to connect with dream connections, quote unquote. So that one really worked well. So you you, you actually asked uh, somebody to follow you. He followed you back and you then you made a screenshot of him. Oh man, I'm going to stop right there. My ear is... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And did more people uh, actually uh, take a screenshot of the person they tagged? Yeah, I really recommend people going through that. Is it still my pinned tweet? I think it might, maybe it's not anymore. Yeah, that's a super fun one. And you can see people being like, holy crap, Sean Puri followed me. Let's see, um, Austin Allred followed me. Jack Butcher followed me. <laughs> 
there are like a ton of them. Greg Eisenberg followed me. There's just all these big accounts. And, <laughs> and it was seriously hundreds of times that this happened. And that was what was so cool about that one, because usually these threads, it's just like, gimme, gimme, gimme. But this one was, I responded to every single comment in there. So there are a thousand, like 1.2 thousand comments. And I responded to all of them and was just like cheering them on and tons and tons of people got their dream follows. So that one was like the most satisfying and also my best one ever. That one had half a million impressions and great. Yeah. Then like some other ones, I won't go super specific into all the different ones, but some common themes. Again, it's just offering to follow people or offering a new thing that you created. So for example, one thing that I do a ton and it's part, it's kind of like built into my weekly goals. Now I try to create some kind of shareable asset that doesn't really exist out there. That's really more specific. So like my content strategy. So recently I put out, do you want to steal my content strategy? It's 400 words on how I'm creating and distributing my thoughts. Reply below if you want it and I'll DM it to anyone that asks. And so I use that strategy all the time because I could easily just put the link in the tweet, but it'll kill the engagement of the tweet because Twitter doesn't want me promoting something off their site. So the algorithm is going to kill me for it. But also it's just not going to get nearly as much traction because if I can engage more people and get more replies, it actually helps me reach more people that I can give this thing away to for free. So I had 70,000 people see that. And of those, you know, like 7,000 people DM me or, or reply. So yeah, so like I I had <laughs> I didn't have 7000 replies in that. I only had 513 replies, but overall I had like 7000 DMs to go through. I'm not kidding on that. And I shared the, the link with them. And so it's not automated either. I'm so dumb and I should have this. <laughs> Holy. I know. So but but that's just an example. So like what basically the funnel of that would be I create this strategy, I host it in Notion. I put it on super so that I can just host it on an actual website so I can have a link that looks nice. And that way I can track it a lot better too. So once I've got it created, then I put out the tweet and say, here's what I built. I'll give it to you for free. I'm not going to make this public, but if you want it, I'll DM it to you. Then I get people that respond and the more people that respond quickly. And if I respond back to them, the algorithm is just like, Hey, he's trying to get more engagement and get more people on the platform and caring about this content. So we'll promote it to more and more people. So it escalates quickly. And then people start DMing me instead because I'm not able to catch up with all the comments. And I just get this flood of comments in the DMs. Then I just have a pre-written message where I'm like, okay, I can't respond to all these manually. So I'm just going to create one message and then copy and paste it. And then I just go through and... And then Twitter bans you for uh, DM spamming. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have to take breaks in between. So I'm still catching up on that, honestly. There are still people that are like, hey, you didn't give me your content strategy. I'm like, well, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's insane. That's great. That's great. That was the best one by far. The, the rest haven't been quite that insane. It's only been a few hundred DMs to sift through. That one was just like okay, I quit. <laughs> wow. That's cool. That's really cool. 7,000 DMs. That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, it, it shows the Twitter algo, you know, you, it's not that hard to understand. You know, it doesn't want you to send people off the platform. They want engagement. So you give them engagement. Yeah. It's, it's just super simple. And people follow you. They say, hey, this is a cool guy. He's giving away stuff for free. This is interesting. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to DM him. And yeah, you create connections and people will uh, yeah, engage with you more. Yeah, that's the whole plan. I just, just give stuff away for free and be interesting and things, good things happen. And so in the meantime, or I think you just launched it, Creator Kit mm -hmm. Pro. 
tell us a little bit about that. So I've had Creator Kit live for a little bit now, maybe a month, and I've been doing everything for free and really became apparent very quickly that I was disorganized and didn't have enough time to do everything. And I needed a better way to do this. So I basically just said, all right, the newsletter is like the best part about this. I try to pack a mini course into every single email once per week. So this week, the mini course email was how to launch your newsletter and get your first hundred subscribers. That's the email that I sent out today. Hopefully that answers that question pretty thoroughly. So I think it was, you know, at least a couple thousand words, I believe uh, on that one. So it was, it was pretty in-depth for an email. And I decided I'm just going to make that the free version because I'm still giving away more. It's, it's basically a course every single week anyway. So that's the free version. And then I'll add some other things on for $7 a month to make up a, a pro version where you can get my personal phone number, not a community.com one, just like my actual phone number because community is crazy expensive and I didn't really use it when I tried it out. So there's that part. Pick my brain sessions every once in a while. People can book with me and just you know pitch ideas or ask for help or questions or whatever. All my courses, my swipe file, all that good stuff. And so I'm just trying to make it more organized for myself. And it's so far, it's already been way better. But definitely for anybody listening, if you want to try it out though, I'm very cognizant of a couple things. First off, you don't know right now if you actually would like it. So I'll give you a 30-day free trial if you just DM me and I'll give you 30 days for free. And then you can cancel if you don't like it. Second off, if you live in a country where the wealth is just not distributed the same way and it's way more expensive for you to pay $7 a month. Like to me, maybe that's not so much. If $7 a month is a ton for you, regardless of your situation, DM me and I'll give it to you for free. I just want to make it available to people and it's not necessarily about the money. Like that's a nice part of it. It's more about creating little buckets for myself of what to focus on. So the the newsletter and pro are separate to me now and I can actually organize my thoughts and the content I create around all that stuff. But that said, to get value from me, hopefully you don't need to join that alone. You, you can get it from videos and podcasts that are free. But if you do want to support, you do want a little bit more, feel free to join Pro. Great. And so first one was uh, how to get 100 subs. What are you planning on, on doing in the future? Yeah, I'm creating a free qu- uh, Twitter course right now that hopefully will be answer a lot of different questions that aren't in the other ones that already exist on Gumroad. So I'm going to try to ask more weird questions to answer, I guess, about Twitter and how to grow and give my own flavor to it. And that that should be free. So that's may not necessarily be in the newsletter, but there might be snippets of that. I am definitely looking into a lot of MarTech tool stack stuff to share. If you are on a certain budget for, you know, if you need free tools, here's what you should use. Paid tools, here's what you should use. Enterprise tools, et cetera. Definitely want to do something about that. And I'm looking at a lot of different things. Like, So right now I'm kind of on this newsletter kick of how to create a newsletter because I'm going through that. So I can share a lot more about what I'm going through. Not as like a guru, but it's just some regular dude that is kind of building a newsletter (laughs) semi-successfully. So I'm focusing a lot on that right now, but there's a lot of opportunity for me to expand into how to build a podcast, how to distribute a podcast, how to do a blog. Because right now I'm also focusing on building out a blog for the first time. I'm going to be documenting how that goes. Hopefully I'll get into YouTube and video and document how that goes, but it'll, it'll be a lot more about what I'm currently learning and what I can share value on or share my mistakes about. That's where I'm going to try to extrapolate that course material. Nice. And can you give a sneak peek of one of the weird questions on Twitter growth? <laughs> I haven't started writing it yet, so I, I don't have too much insight in that, but I, I do know I want to focus a lot less on just like, make sure your bio is okay. Make sure you're 
banners okay and have a CTA. I want to explore weird things that you can do that will really make you stand out. I want to focus more on standing out on Twitter than just here's how to hack your way to growth because I don't really believe in hacks that much because even if they do work sometimes, I don't think they work long term. You could hack your way to 5,000 followers, but you probably won't have great followers. So I think it'll be more focused around here's how to do it in your own little weird way that'll still work and maybe be a bit slower, but you'll see real results from it. Yeah, I think definitely with artificial intelligence on the rise, you know, we I know we have a system where you just click a button and we get get a bunch of tweets we could just put in Hyperbury. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's there's going to be a lot more content on Twitter, a lot more tweets, but you won't stand out unless you do stuff like you do, which is, you know, have a life, create things outside Twitter and share them on Twitter, share your experience. And I think it's really cool that, you know, you just try new things. I think, you know, also, you know, who doesn't want to own a blog? Who doesn't want to, you know, do YouTube and see how you can get more views and subscribers? And I think when you, you know, just talk about it, that that in itself is just a really valuable way to yeah, gain an audience. Oh. Yeah, that's the plan. I want to do this my way. Because like I mentioned before, early on in my career, I wanted to grow on social media because I wanted to have a high follower count. So people would think that I was cool and maybe I'd make more money. Now, I still care about making money and making friendships and that good stuff. But I realize, like when I'm on Twitter, I like it most when I'm doing it my way, even if it doesn't go viral. So even if I'm putting out a tweet where <laughs> there are so many times where I put out tweets where people just don't get the joke at all. This happened recently. Cause like, <laughs> I don't know if you uh, watched the Super Bowl at all, or if you care about that whatsoever. I, I didn't. I read that it was over pretty quickly or it was just pretty, yeah, it was, pretty it wasn't a, yeah. It wasn't a great game, but after that, I said, let's see, I actually wrote a blog about it. But yeah, it's basically just like after the Super Bowl or no, right before it, I said, you're not too old to chase that crazy goal. Think about it. It took Tom Brady 43 years to get to his 10th Super Bowl. It's never too late. But people didn't get that that was a joke because like getting to 10 Super Bowls in 43 years means that every four years of his life, he was in a Super Bowl. So that's actually insane and absolutely not the point I was trying to make. Right. But people just don't understand it. So sometimes I it totally goes flat and nobody gets it but that's me and that's what i like creating and so that's what i want to keep doing and hopefully every tweet sounds like i could say it in real life if not then i've kind of failed i think you have to keep bumping your nose you know i have a lot of tweets where i think man this has to be a slam dunk but i just (laughs) yeah for sure yeah i mean i never in a million years did i think i would have tweets that were getting me thousands of dms or followers and stuff but Yeah, I think realizing that nobody really owes you anything, nobody owes you a follow really helps too. It might be a little depressing at first. Like I'm not trying to say nobody cares about you, but also kind of nobody cares about you online. And the quicker that you realize that, the happier you can be because anytime that anybody follows me now, I'm super happy about it because they don't owe me anything. And it's just because they're investing in me at this point. Like if somebody follows me, that's basically the equivalent of a payment or an investment in me and my handle. And I think that's super cool that somebody would give me a shot. So people unfollow, that's cool too. Maybe I just wasn't right for them at that time or whatever. But I think the moment that you can get over yourself a little bit in your content, just be like, I'm going to put out what I want. I'm going to be as helpful as I can possibly be. I'm going to try to be interesting. And whatever happens, happens. If you have that mindset, I think you can't really help but grow over time. Just a matter of, depends on if you'll stay consistent. Blake, thank you very much, man. This was a lot of fun. Where can people find you? 
All right, let's do this. So uh, <laughs> on Twitter, at UXBlake, you can go to creatorkit.in, creatorkit.in, to sign up for the newsletter. That's also where Pro is found. So if you're not a subscriber yet, it'll pull up a prompt that says, do you want to do the free version or the paid version? You can choose whatever. Uh, and then also my podcast is called How I Built My Audience. You can find that at audiences.show. That's the URL. And there are a billion other places that I won't mention right now. But uh, just check me out on Twitter. You'll find me there. Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter with your favorite part. See you again next week. Thank you.